Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Thursday, March 24th. We begin with the latest on the war in Ukraine. This time out through the eyes of a former volunteer combat medic who's currently coordinating donations in the war-torn country, we speak with Alina Vyatkina, who shares her incredible story with us. Then we head to Brussels for an update on the ongoing NATO and G7 meetings taking place, which include Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. We get the latest from Global News European correspondent Redmond Shannon. Next, it's our monthly conversation with Deborah Yedlin, President and CEO of the Calgary Chamber. Deborah brings us details on an ambitious agriculture summit, which takes place next month in the city, and what impact it will have on local businesses. And finally, what shapes Calgary and our community? Our Dave McIver brings us another installment in our Where We Live series, this time exploring the rich history of the Calgary Folk Festival. Alina Vyatkina is a former volunteer combat medic in eastern Ukraine who is working with a couple of Canadians to raise money and provide much-needed supplies to the frontline defenders in the war-torn country. She joins us now live from Lviv. Good day, uh, good morning here in Calgary. I guess it's good afternoon to you, Alina. Yes, hi. Thank you for, for joining us this morning. Let's talk about this. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. I'm, I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad uh, that uh, for the time being, it sounds like you're in a safe place and you can speak with us. So tell us about a, a day for you and, and what you've been doing with your time to help the cause. Uh, well, actually, I'm trying to get equipment and technical medicine. Canada, Poland, Denmark, other, other countries, and uh, my mom in Krakow in Poland uh, packing it and sending it to me to leave. And from here, I'm uh, with other volunteers uh, packing it also and sending all over Ukraine. So, so tell us about the journey for these supplies. Uh, you know, we, we hear, you know, here in Canada, you know, some of the supply chains are broken and, and it's, it's very difficult. Are you able to get the supplies on a consistent basis? Well, I cannot say that it's on a consistent basis, but uh, we do what we can uh, for now. And uh, usually we deliver it to post, for example, like from all over the world to Poland. And from Poland, I'm getting it by vans or cars and deliver like, directly to the front lines. Alina, can you tell us about your Canadian connection? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, I know uh, Liana for a few years. She went uh, to Ukraine to write a play about Ukrainian volunteers, uh, and I was a paramedic uh, in 2015 on eastern Ukraine. So uh, we met each other, and we've had uh, a lot of conversations about my war experience as paramedic. Uh, and uh, like we just continued to uh, talk with her all the time, so we became friends. And when uh, Russia invaded Ukraine uh, months ago, I connected to her right there, like at this moment and told her that, okay, the war is going on, mm-hmm. the big war. So how can we, how can we be helpful to each other? Okay. So, so you've got that connection. You've got people around you. You're, you're doing what you can to make a difference. But I'm wondering, Alina, if you can tell us about what it is like, you know, as far as day to day, as far as getting things, you know, personally, like like food, like water and communication. What is it like in Lviv? Can you, you still get those necessities without too much of an issue? 
well, not always. Uh, for example, we need uh, very specific equipment, like very specific radio stations or tactical medicine, and sometimes it is difficult to find it even in uh, Europe for now, or like Bluetooth vests. So we're trying to get it to get it from Canada or USA uh, even. Uh, but still, yes, it, it, we're trying to do our best uh, to provide our soldiers with all the equipment. And how, how about you? Like, you know, we, we hear the, how the different cities have been impacted. You spending time in Lviv, uh, what, what is a night routine? I'm assuming, and I can't even imagine. I think the majority of, it, majority of us can't imagine what it's like to sleep every single night in, in an area that is being invaded. How, how do you get a night's sleep? Uh, not really well, honestly, uh, because we have usually like three, t- two, three times uh, air alarms per night uh, and you cannot feel safe anywhere in Ukraine right now because all cities like in western Ukraine, all over Ukraine are being attacked by uh, Russian rockets. So actually, yes, we have to sit in shelters sometimes, but um, at the same time, Lviv is much more safe than Kiev, which is my original city. And uh, for example, like, um, I don't know what's happening with my apartment right now in Kiev, which I'm like renting, but I know that Russian um, rockets landed like approximately uh, 500 meters from my apartment. So incredible, incredible. Now, you know, we, we, we talk about, you know, some of these much needed equipment and, and focusing a lot of them on medical supplies, making sure that people have what they need. But I understand you're also, you, uh, you know, started off really for the most part purchasing bulletproof vests for those people who are going to be frontline. Um, so that is, that is that something that you had access to, or is that something you had to learn about when it comes to, for example, a bulletproof vest? Uh, yes, I think because I'm a veteran and I have connections with the veteran community all over the world, I found uh, some suppliers who are veterans too. And also I consult a lot of people which are like at the front line right now who are my comrades from 2015. Uh, so I know for sure what we need to get and which type of it, with which class of it, uh, so I'm sure about what we're getting. <laughs> Have you uh, come into contact or anybody you know with within your group trying to make a difference with any of the Russian soldiers who have, you know, either uh, been captured or, or want to flee the area? Have you, have, have you heard about the, their morale, the Russian soldiers who have been the invaders? Uh, well, I don't know. I don't have connections directly to Russian soldiers, uh, but uh, I know some Belarusian, my friends, which who was fighting with us like in 2015, mm-hmm. and they tried to connect uh, some soldiers in Belarusia. But uh, I don't know. I cannot say that uh, that's my uh, type of work, which I have to do right now, honestly. I think other guys have to make it. Okay. Well, I, and I'm wondering, what can people do if they're listening right now and they can hear the sound of my voice, hear the sound of your voice? What can they do to help and support your cause? Uh, amazing friend of mine, Liana from Canada, she created uh, the website uh, which tells our story and what exactly we are doing right now and how uh, people can support us and support Ukraine. So you can donate through PayPal or you can buy supplies in Canada, for example, and uh, send it directly to me or to my mom in Krakow and she will uh, give it to me uh, to leave. Uh, so yeah, actually, like you can donate or uh, you can buy supplies and send it to us. And you can find all the information on the website uh, or on my Facebook page where I provide uh, also reports from the front line. And very much needed those uh, you know reports from the front lines. I believe the website is supportalina a l i n a ukraine dot com. Yeah. Okay. Yes, exactly.
We'll put people to that website again. It's supportalinaukraine.com. Thank you for spending time with us, and I know that I appreciate your time. You're, you're very busy, so thanks for taking the time with us this morning. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. Thank you. That is Alina Vyatkina, a former volunteer combat medic in eastern Ukraine, and as you heard, she had connections being a vet, so she was able to you know procure bulletproof vests aside from the medicines, but making sure that not only getting the medicines to uh, people in need, but getting protective gear. All of a sudden, you know, you're a combat medic, and the medic part is is, is fantastic, but it's a very unique background that Alina had there, enabling her to have these connections. So an interesting story, and uh, one of, I'm sure, thousands of stories of, of people making a difference in Ukraine and, of course, in Lviv, where we were speaking to Alina. Western leaders are gathering in Brussels today for three major summits discussing the war in Ukraine as the conflict enters its second month. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau will take part in meetings with NATO and G7 counterparts as they look to take further action against Russia's invasion. To join us more with details, we're joined by Redmond Shannon, Global News European correspondent. Good morning to you, Redmond. Good morning, Andrew. Well, let's talk about the agenda for today. What are the leaders going to be discussing? Well, uh, already this morning um, in Brussels, uh, the the NATO leaders heard from Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky, who yet again appealed for more military aid, but more specifically for a no-fly zone, asking for the NATO uh, alliance to protect his skies. Now, we will shortly hear from the NATO Secretary General, Jens Stoltenberg, um, in a press conference. But don't expect him to say that that is something that NATO leaders have agreed upon. We will expect to hear uh, details uh, that he outlined yesterday of uh, further NATO um, battalions, battle groups rather, being placed in four Eastern European um, NATO members. Uh, We should expect to hear more details about military aid coming from NATO members being sent to Ukraine. But uh, NATO will almost certainly stop short of a no-fly zone because, uh, according to NATO, that will amount to direct conflict with Russia, something it is not prepared prepared to do uh, in a country like Ukraine, which is not a member of NATO, and that is central to this entire issue. So we will uh, have some outcome shortly, we imagine, from NATO, followed by a G7 summit with which uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau will take part in as well. And then, uh, to top it all off, the European Union's 27 leaders will uh, gather for a summit too. Extraordinary times to have these three major summits in the same city on the same day. But basically, this is an effort for all of them to try and coordinate a Western response, a ramped-up Western response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine on the one-month anniversary of it uh, happening. One month in, and as you mentioned and alluded to, Redmond, the request for the no-fly zone has been, you know, around for weeks. We know about the sanctions already in place. Uh, when we say, you know, a meeting to find out what further can be done, what could be on the table? Are we done with sanctions? Or can we see some more increased sanctions? What can we do besides crossing that line, which would be, you know, actually entering the conflict? Yeah, well, the sanctions are, again, a a difficult one because uh, of the diverse membership of NATO, the EU, the G7, and Mm -hmm. the different priorities that different countries have. And uh, when we talk about sanctions, the... Uh, presence and the reliance on from European countries on Russian oil and gas is still an issue. So, country like Germany, a population of eighty plus million, 
has a huge proportion of its energy coming from Russian oil and gas. So the sanctions that were put in place weeks ago had an exception when we talk about those banks being removed from the SWIFT international payment system. Russian banks that deal in energy were, were an exception to that. So it allowed countries like Germany, Czech Republic and so on to pay for the Russian oil and gas mm -hmm. that they receive. But the president of the European Parliament put it quite starkly yesterday when she said, we are funding this invasion of Ukraine by paying Russia for its natural resources. So the leaders will be looking to uh, find a way to as quickly as possible wean Europe off Russian oil and gas. It's easy for the US and Canada to say these uh, you, um, stop buying Russian oil and gas, but when we're still in the colder half of the year, you can't exactly turn off the tap. Well, you can't even do it in the warmer half of the year either. Um, so it's very difficult for some countries to do it and, and finding a way, to, finding a, a map of a roadmap of how that will happen is probably part of what's happening today, too. It's going to be a very busy one for the leaders a meeting, as you say, lots going on. We appreciate the update, Redmond. You're welcome, Andrew. Have a great day. Bye. You too. That's Redmond Shannon, Global News European correspondent. Well, according to polling, a new poll from Ipsos 64% of Albertans have significant concerns about their ability to feed their families. What steps can we take as a province to help address concerns around food insecurity? Joining us to discuss is Deborah Yedlin, President and CEO of the Calgary Chamber. Good morning to you, Deborah. Good morning. Well, let's, let's uh, talk about this because uh, I think this is interesting. Obviously, it's on people's minds. And uh, we are going to be hosting in, in the city an agriculture summit coming up. Tell us about the components surrounding this, Deborah. So what we are going to be doing at the summit, it's taking place on the 5th of, of, uh, of April. It's at the Big Four. And we're gathering leaders from Canada's largest agriculture and agri-food players so we're looking at smart farming, we're looking at the geopolitics of food security, we're looking at the ESG principles when it comes to uh, food, labor and workforce uh, issues, and of course, uh, how do you finance all this and how technology plays into the changing way of how we're, how we're growing our food and monitoring it, making sure that we can increase yields and increase production. Sounds like the, the perfect place for a summit like this. As we've mentioned, we know that agriculture, huge in Alberta, and we're trying to become somewhat of a tech hub. So to bring these two together, uh, it sounds like a perfect fit to me. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting when you start to see how much um, how much ha funding has been going towards these agriculture uh, ag initiatives. And, you know, a company like Builders VC, which is really focusing on supporting, uh, which is a venture capital um, uh, firm, which is really focused on supporting these these startups. It's um, it's really starting to take off, and you know we have things like uh, vertical farming that's starting in in in, in Alberta. Uh, we've got something called herd whistle, which is to help. Uh, it's an RFID system, so you have you know basically barcodes to monitor your livestock. Um, there's a dating app for farmers now. Uh, Olds College leads the Pan Canadian Smart Farming Work uh, Farming Network, and it's a network of smart farms that share data and technology and information through technology, so you can actually monitor what you're doing, change your practices. I think it's really, really critical as we are so challenged from a from a, a changing environment. Right? We've got you know we know about the drought. We know what crop yields have been doing. So we really have to keep doing things and understanding how we have to adapt to the changing environment. Deborah, these agricultural tech companies, obviously super niche when you talk about something like that, but the spinoff is wide on local businesses. Can you tell us about some of the impact that it has in the different sectors? Well, you know, as we talk about technology, it's, um, 
technology is an enabler, and now it's being applied to uh, to the to the agriculture sector. And this is something that is growing. We know that uh, Alberta has a lot of opportunity in terms of playing a role in feeding the world. And I think what we're seeing now unfolding in in uh, the in Ukraine and and Russia, uh, this actually opens up more opportunities and greater need for Alberta to continue to grow its, uh, its, 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 its agriculture potential. And just broadly speaking, you know, agriculture is Canada's fifth largest contributor from a GDP perspective, about 7%. And it's a very important part of, uh, of Alberta's economy. It's about $9 billion uh, that it contributes to Alberta's GDP. So we really have, you know, it's not an insignificant, um, it's not an insignificant sector. And uh, when you consider that 25% of the world's wheat comes from Russia and Ukraine, we can just sort of connect the dots and understand where we have to play. Absolutely. So, so what about consumers? You know, what what can we see coming down the line and the impact it'll have on, on everyday Calgarians or Albertans for that matter? Well, for now, you know, we are subject to the global forces. And as we're seeing on a, you know, we're seeing this constantly, that inflation is starting to hit uh, everybody at the grocery store. So we're starting to see rising rising grocery bills. Uh, we're also seeing a change in behavior from consumers. I mean, consumers are interested more in going the direct to the producer route and, and also choosing alternative proteins. And then I think, you know, we have to remember that the, the pandemic changed the way we eat, how we cook, what we look for. And so these are trends that are going to stay within, within our sort of, sort of how we, how we, how we feed ourselves on a daily basis. But I think if you ask people, what are they most worried about right now? They're worried about, the rising cost of food. And this is something that's manifesting around the world. It's not just in Alberta. Absolutely. Very timely. And, uh, you know, all eyes on uh, next month. You said April 5th that the uh, we're going to see this uh, summit? Yes, April 5th at the Big Four on the Stampede Grounds. Just think about it as one step towards Stampede. Yeah, hey, that's a good fit for sure. Thank you so much for your time, Deborah. We appreciate Thanks. it. Bye. Find out more of what Deborah and uh, the Chamber has uh, ongoing at calgarychamber.com. And, of course, that's Deborah Yedlin, President and CEO of the Calgary Chamber. Every summer in uh, Prince's Island Park, Calgarians gather for music, food, and friendship. Our on-air contributor Dave McIver has the latest feature in our series, Where We Live. It's described as a magical four-day weekend that runs in July, bringing different groups of Calgarians together during the warm summer month. It celebrates diversity in music and culture and has been serving the people of Calgary for over 40 years. Carrie Clark, artistic and marketing director, gave me a history lesson on Calgary Folk Fest. Folk Fest started in, uh, in 1979 and it was, uh, it was in conjunction with Alberta's 75th anniversary. There were a number of festivals started that same year and uh, I'll, I'll go with the short version, but basically um, there was a, a guy named Mitch Podolik who was a Trotskyist hippie and that was in his mid-twenties and he had uh, started the Winnipeg Folk Festival and the Vancouver Folk Festivals. So he had this idea to take this thing called the Traveling Medicine Road Traveling Road Show and Medicine Road Show or something along those lines um, to um, Alberta and so seated Calgary and Edmonton's festivals and that year it was you know maybe seven or eight artists and it was at Princess Island Park and it was a small event and kind of came blew through blew through Edmonton and then from there as was his want he um, handed it off to local organizers and so that was initially the Calgary Folk Club who were still going strong and they organized the 
festival for till 1988. So I think there was some debt and uh, they took a year off and that year was the Olympics. And so they did the festival essentially indoors in February in conjunction with the Olympics um, at the Jubilee Auditorium for two days. Then it was reorganized and uh, still went back to Prince's Island Park started all over again but within the same history and uh, you know st- when I first started uh, over 25 years ago it was a two-day event um, gradually we expanded to three days and then the four days that it is now so it kind of had a, a history that followed in with the Western Festival folk, folk festival model which is really unique it's quite awesome you know very much volunteer based and a lot of community energy and very much locally based in the sense that there's not they're not franchised each um, festival even though they have similarities at the festival you're run into a very diverse group of people, something that Calgary Folk Fest celebrates not only in their attendees, but in their artists and vendors as well. So when we say diverse, you know, we, we certainly mean, um, yeah, culturally diverse, um, and but also, you know, genre and perspectives of artists, people with long careers, people with newer careers, different ages. Um, the whole gamut of diversity is important to us. Our festival and the music that we program has evolved with the evolution of culture and how we see it and music that people follow um, and what our audience is made up of. Um, And also, like I say, it just makes it more interesting. We're trying to, for us, folk is a very big word um, that includes a lot. Like, basically, it's kind of people from uh, a songwriting tradition, an original songwriting tradition, and people from other musical traditions and the evolution thereof. So that really means that we can encompass everything from, you know, blues and bluegrass and, and traditional folk and Celtic and world music through to hip hop. So what is it about Folk Fest that keeps Calgarians coming back for more every year? People are coming to see their favorites, but there are also, there's a lot of really open-minded people who come for the discovery because, you know, there's people who, we've heard people independently of each other say wow I had no idea because they hadn't been before Um, and also it's an intimate setting it's there's a lot of options on site you know you can you can chill under the trees and read a book if you want you can sit in and drink a beer with friends you can go off and see music you can chase music all day your favorite artists discover new ones there's a family area it's just got a good vibe again someone said years ago that it's kind of like the, the way the world should be for one weekend for 770 CHQR I'm Dave McIver where we live is brought to you by Furnace Family. Done right, day or night, FurnaceFamily.com. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.